power on. The following is a presentation of the Sovereign Tech Podcast feed. Ready for your weekly tech fix? Want to know how technology sets us free? Well, get ready because here it comes. You're listening to Sovereign Tech with your host, entrepreneur and technophile Brian Sovereign. He's got a huge brain. And now, here's Brian. Here I am, here I am, here I am. Am I here? Yes, I'm here. Uh, as, as, as usual, I like to keep the show open source and, uh, you know, open behind the curtains. And I just got to say that this is actually take two of the first, at least five minutes of the show, but that's okay. Uh, so here we are. This is, uh, this is going to be a show. I'm very excited about this. This is a show that I had kind of teased on the Tumblr page at sovereigntech.tumblr.com. Uh, this is the privacy episode. Uh, the the internet privacy, technological privacy, however you want to call it, uh, and to do so, I brought in I brought in the real deal. I I I brought in one of the one of the the real. I brought in a hacker. Let's just get it, let's let it out right there. I brought in a hacker today. Uh, who happens to also be a good friend of mine, uh, Christoph. Pleasure to have you here. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Yeah, and um, he has he has all the qualifications that uh you know that that you can imagine um and uh christoph why don't you go ahead and uh, you know give us a little introduction to yourself yeah well um uh, again i I started yeah (laughs) so i started out uh uh you know getting into hacking stuff which i guess broadly speaking just uh using computers in an unexpected way and often using other other people's computers in a way that they were not anticipating other people's computers yes that's right Ooh. <laughs> now, okay. Um, now, this is when you were a teenager. Mm-hmm, that's right. Okay. Well, I, I, I think uh, my first hack ever was probably I was uh, in about sixth grade or so. Sixth grade. Yeah. And, you got me uh, beat. <laughs> and uh, I got into the habit of of secretly staying in during recess and uh, using the computers and just messing around with them. And at that point. Um, you know, not only did the kids not really know much about computers, but the adults didn't either. Right. And so, you know, it was not properly configured at all. It's it completely amateur. Sure. And um, I, they had a, they had some people that had admin accounts. There was like a computer guy at the school, and his user account was admin. And uh, then they had a, they had a, the principal had an account, and it was like teacher one or something like that. And so the the password for admin was teacher one and vice versa. Right? So, <laughs> that, so um, from there, I kind of got into some of the records and changed some stuff around. And then mm-hmm. I was like, oh, crap, I can't let anyone in for that. And I, I didn't tell anyone about it. That's for, very for Ferris years. Bueller of you. That's yeah. awesome. All yeah, right. Yeah. So um, you did that as, you know, growing up from sixth grade. I mean, that's that's before even really being a teenager, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. So. And t- kind of a typical story for hackers, like got into, you know, some very basic stuff, writing uh, DOS batch viruses and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, using little like kitty scripts online to kick people off AOL through right. the chat window and, <laughs> and stuff like that. Um, and then when I got into college, you know, I, I got into computer science and all that stuff. I ended up doing a degree 
in uh, in in the security stuff in particular. And uh, I've had a few jobs in the in the security area, done some research, presented research, and, and all that stuff. Uh, today, I'm a, a security application consultant, so um, focusing on web application security in particular. So I'm not a uh, not a privacy expert per se, but uh, certainly. Uh, know a bunch of stuff and and been around that scene for a while. Yeah, I don't think I mean pr- privacy, internet privacy especially is such a wide ranging thing. I mean, I don't think there's any like genuine expert. Even like the Electronic Frontier Foundation, you know, I mean that's a group of you know hundreds or not if not thousands of people sure. that it takes to put together all that stuff and to find out all the things that they find out about privacy. So I think I mean in my opinion, you're you're as good as it gets. You know, no doubt about it. And now, would would now with what you're doing now, would that would you classify that as a white hat hacker? Yeah, definitely. Um, companies hire my company to you know hack into their stuff, mm-hmm. try to simulate what a hacker would do within a certain time frame, and uh, so that they can make those fixes and and make sure that they're plugged before an actual you know black hat hacker comes along. Right, right, and does the real damage. Right. Um, could you quickly describe, because there's also the gray hat hacker. Uh, do you think you could describe that kind of situation? Yeah, well, a uh, gray hat hacker has a, I don't know, there's a bunch of different definitions, and it's it's sort of a, a broad category, but obviously it's it's supposed to be something between a, a white hat hacker and, and a, a black hat hacker, um, someone that is not necessarily stricting, strictly uh, respecting, uh, you know, sort of the property rights that are involved, um, but also not necessarily using it for, you know, evil or, or financial gain or whatever. So it's an anti-hero. Yeah, that's it's it's a Boba Fett of hacking, kind right? Of. Yeah, right. Sure. Okay. And these days, you know, the the names that you typically hear around the gray hat stuff is like anonymous, mm-hmm. sec, those kinds of organizations. Sure. Sure. Yeah, which uh, in future episodes of uh, Sovereign Tech, we'll be doing hacker stories, and we will be talking about those groups. Um, so yeah, glad you mentioned them. Um, so yeah, so we're going to talk about privacy, and you know, I'm of the opinion that y- you kind of you can't have it if you want to use the internet, if you want to use computers and all their richness. Today, it's just not there. Um, I and I think to myself. Uh, you know, the time when, when I was much younger, where everything was really being done offline and everything was designed with the purpose of never connecting to the internet on computers. I mean, we're, t- I mean, yeah, I'm talking like windows three, one or like DOS, uh, you know, and, and that just, it just, it never crossed their mind that they would be going, uh, you know, that, that these computers would, now you had like windows for work groups back then, and that allowed everything to connect to each other. But this whole idea that, that, that your your PC would be interconnected with things just wasn't there. I don't even think Macintosh was heading in that direction back then either. Um, so, but now it's everything so integrated. They release things, they release programs with the intent of there being patches released often the next day, uh, you know, after they're released. Uh, this is popular in games and in really any software. Um, you even take like the ultimate in offline software, which be Adobe. Now they're pushing everybody to go to the cloud to pay for a monthly service to do their thing. And that's all being done online. Everything's being done online. And with that in mind, to my own opinion, and I'm open to you, to you saying differently, Christoph, that's why we're going to have this conversation. Um, but to my own mind, I don't, I think that if you have a computer and you're on the internet, forget it. You, 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 there's no way that you are going to be completely anonymous. Now I've, I've seen some guys, I was at Libertopia this year, uh, in San Diego. 
Um, and I see, I've, I saw some guys there, I think they're from Germany and I mean, they had like, like, you know, turbans around their heads, wearing dark sunglasses, you know, and everything. I mean, these guys were like, they didn't want, they didn't want cameras like, like in London, there's cameras everywhere. They didn't want cameras to be able to recognize who they are. They don't want any of this facial recognition software working on them. And I mean, they laid out a really paranoid scenario. Uh, and, and I thought that was, that was pretty extreme, um, because what good can you do? I mean, to, to me, what good can you do to people, you know, for people, if you don't have kind of a, you know, kind of a public image to really, uh, transmit any information of any kind to them. Um, so anyway, why don't you go ahead and give me your spin on it or not your spin, your, your genuine educated, uh, you know, uh, opinion and, and, and facts that you have. Right. Well, I think, uh, when, when you're talking about uh, privacy, um, I come from a an academic background initially, and so I, my opinion about privacy is you don't necessarily have to uh, just give up on privacy. The goal is not to have total privacy, but you want to have some way of sort of quantifying it. Mm-hmm. Security is always a matter of of quantifying and mitigating risk. You know, there's no such thing as perfect computer security. If you want your computer right. to be perfectly secure you unplug it and set it on fire or something Um, (laughs) uh, so and privacy is sort of the same way you want to you want to find risks to privacy in particular types of attack scenarios and those are dependent on particular threat actors and so depending on what the nature of the attack is and who's doing it and so forth there are different ways to try and mitigate the risk to reduce the risk to your privacy okay so um, in terms of web privacy the way that people are going to be trying to reduce your privacy, um, primarily for financial gain, but there could be other reasons why they might want to do that. They're looking to correlate data about you. Um, so they there's a, every time you go online, you leave some kind of uh, some kind of trail behind you, and every time you connect to a website, you have sort of a fingerprint that identifies some information about you. Um, and so that information might be some things like your IP address, uh, browser cookies. You've probably heard of browser cookies. Um, uh, the uh, data that in- identifies the browser that you're using to visit a website, it's called the user agent. Mm-hmm. Um, your time zone, stuff like that. Um, so, they, so they know if you're using Firefox or Chrome or Opera or Internet Explorer, unfortunately. Yeah, definitely. And if they have enough pieces of data about you, they can start to get sort of a unique fingerprint for what you look like when you interact with websites. And so that's that's sort of the holy grail is once they've fingerprinted you, then they can start tying all this other stuff to, to you. Like what are what kind of stuff are you searching for? What's your Facebook uh, username? You know, all that all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so mostly that would be ad companies that are trying to do that. They're trying to find information relevant to advertising towards your interests um right now they're not like spying on you because they want to get your latest ideas or they want to would, would you say that 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 that's no no, no they just like want to i mean the reason you know you take a company like google or even facebook who are offering all these free services and they are absolutely free they can't just i mean that's they're not doing this for charity okay? right they, they they need to make money off of this fact and that's what these ads are about is that correct yeah definitely and sometimes the ways that they compromise your privacy can be beneficial to you you know they can they're able to come up with more relevant information to right. you when they know a bunch of stuff about you right now i want to point this out real quick um there is 
for, for those that are interested, um, with Google now, Google, when they do their ads, it's like on the, I mean, like their search, their search results are more geared towards you or they'll put little ads on the, on the right side of the page or at the top or whichever that, that are relevant to search your search history, all of which is fine. But if you are interested in that not happening, Google, unlike any other service that I know of does offer a opt out, uh, um, an opt out cookie that you can install. And so that's something to look for. You can Google it oddly enough, um, and look for that and then download it. But anyway, just wanted to mention that. Go ahead, Krista. Yeah, definitely. Um, there's some other things that are coming out, uh, now, like there's a do not track, uh, thing. Mm -hmm. I think it's probably an HTTP header that gets, uh, provided from the browser and it'd be an option that you enable in your browser. I think mm -hmm. that may be integrated with some browsers. Is that already. like the privacy options you can choose in like Safari or in Firefox where they have like a privacy mode? Is that kind of the same thing? Yeah, it's, it's along those lines. The problem with that is that you have to, you have to get uh, websites to agree to honor those. Okay. You know? So you're saying, I don't want to be tracked. And then you hope that the other people, the people on the other end are going to say, okay, I won't track you then since so, you told me that. So can the website say, okay, well, you don't want us to track you. Well, you're not going to access our website. Can yeah, absolutely. Okay. All right. Yeah, definitely. Sure. Um, so, you know, that's that's the deal with that ad agencies. And, of course, there could be other threat actors that might be wanting to, you know, subvert your privacy. Um, and depending on who that threat actor is, it might be really hard to try and challenge their risk. Um, you know, with an ad agency, the vast majority of people going to websites, they're doing the same kind of thing. They don't have any special mitigating technologies in there they don't have any special browser plugins or you know uh any kind of uh, stuff so ad companies mostly are going to be targeting those people and with a fairly small amount of effort if you just do something that's a little bit unusual hmm. you can uh, disrupt the technologies that they're using to track you it's probably not going to be worth it to them to try and overcome that okay Whereas, you know, on the other hand, if it's the Chinese military that's that's targeting you or whatever, you're probably screwed. I mean, there's not, yeah. not too much that you can do about that kind of that kind of situation. Right. I'm, you know, I think that's a real quick point to bring out is that I think a lot of people are just like, again, they're 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 thinking that, that everybody's like watching them. And the point is, is that if someone like at at the at a government like at like the Chinese government level wants to break into your machine, you, they're, they're going to get in there. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, as to where you know the average the average company they don't care. You know, you know I mean they got they they're they're just they're looking for numbers. They're not looking for specific like really that specific of information. Um, and it's actually your choice with, with with these sorts of things that these companies are gathering. Like uh, Google has the Google Now feature, and I like it. You know, I understand that it's creepy that it can tell me what I want to know before I even ask. Okay, but cool. You know, that's great. Less thinking I, you know, have to do on that aspect of things to where I can think about more important things. Anyway, go ahead. Yeah, definitely. Um, so uh, a website that I wanted to mention is uh, it's kind of an educational website. It's called Panopticlick. Uh, it's done by uh, EFF, which is the Electronic Freedom Foundation. Freedom Foundation, is that it? Uh, I think it's Electronic Frontier. Frontier, Frontier there we go. Yeah. Great, and, great website. Yeah. And so Panopticlick, uh, what the project is, you kind of go there. And uh, you click a button, and it will implement some of these tracking technologies to try and give get kind of a fingerprint of what what you look like to websites. Um, so I, I went on the, the the website earlier today, and um, with a with nothing special going on, um, it was able to uniquely identify me out of all of the 2.6 million people that had uh, gone to the website 
and it was able to see what kind of browser plugins I had installed, uh, system fonts, <laughs> what time zone I was in, all that kind of stuff, right? So out of 2.6 million people that have gone to this site, okay, the, it, it, it was able to identify you. Yeah, absolutely, okay. which means I go to any website and it, you know, it has a pretty good idea of who I am. Um, and, you know, correlating that with other cookies that are installed on my machine, third party sure. cookies and all that kind of stuff. Sure. It's, it's pretty easy to track me from site to site. Okay. Now, if I uh, enable a script, uh, a, a plugin in my browser called NoScript, which is a, a really good uh, plugin, uh, then it gets reduced to they can identify me as one in 70,000 people that have visited the website. So there's a lot more anonymity, in, you know, in involved in that and that's because once i enable that um javascript is disabled then it's no longer to you know see my browser plugins the system fonts all that kind of stuff Ah, javascript so they have less information about me to correlate to my identity online yeah now javascript here it's a here's a crazy animal right there Okay, because it's very, very popular to write. I mean, like Java, especially in the late 90s, was an exceptionally popular language, still is. Right. Um, developed by Sun Microsystems originally. Uh, and it, th this is something they have updates all the time. Uh, most browsers now uh, want it automatically turned off because there's, cause just the security holes in it are, are terrible. Um, but so many websites need it to run, you know, or to, to do the rich stuff that you do on the internet. Uh, what, you know, even watching videos or playing games or whatever the case may be. Um, internet Explorer 10 recently, uh, is doing like a, a unique form of JavaScript that, um, you know, so that hopefully it's not so unsecure. Uh, Flash is kind of similar in, to JavaScript to where, you know, it's something that can definitely collect about a lot of information and JavaScript so integrated correct me if I'm wrong, um, that, yeah, I mean, you can find out a whole lot with, with, with JavaScript enabled. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, it's a double-edged sword. It's a, been a really important technology for making websites useful mm -hmm. and interactive, but it, you can do all kinds of malicious stuff with it as well, of course. Sure. Sure. Um, so just to talk about how to, uh, kind of help protect yourself against some of these privacy threats on the web, um, Firefox is mostly where it's at. The most of the the good browser plugins that exist are in Firefox. Yeah, I would agree. I, I definitely I recommend if anyone comes up to me, what's the best uh, what's the best web browser out there next to Lynx, which is actually a full text web browser. <laughs> um, I would I would recommend uh, Firefox hands down. Yep, right, right. So uh, some of the plugins that I like for that, um, there's Better Privacy, which uh, removes uh, and manages non-standard cookies, so-called super cookies, and so forth. Um, there's also uh, Adblock Plus, which is really good for you know blocking ads and stuff like that. And mm -hmm. ads are definitely they're doing this kind of tracking stuff right. with them. Um, there's another one that's cool that I picked up recently called Ghostery, and it it identifies and blocks third party elements and pages. And um, a, a neat thing about that is whenever you go to a page and it blocks one of these elements, it will pop up and show you like the domain of what where it blocked it. And so it's got this educational aspect to it, to it too, where you right. kind of start to learn get a sense about just how much how much you're, you're getting tracked on all these different websites. That's fantastic. Websites. Right. Yeah. And what's that called again? Ghostery. Ghostery. Yeah. Okay. Um, Ghostery is also available for uh, Chrome as well. And um, uh, also for Chrome, there are a couple plugins that are similar to NoScript. There's NotScripts and ScriptNo um, for, for Chrome that do have very similar functionality. Okay. So Firefox and Chrome, pretty safe bets. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. 
Cool. All right, well, we're going to have more with the hacker Christoph. Uh, and, of course, me, Brian Sovereign. You're listening to Sovereign Tech. We will be right back. You're listening to Sovereign Tech with me, Brian Sovereign, the man who always wears triple black. Sovereign Tech is a show about science and technology and how it can set you free. Remember, Sovereign Tech only endorses businesses and products that we genuinely believe in and support ourselves. If you have a product or website that you would like to have reviewed, you can email the show at SovereignTech at Hush.ai. Please keep in mind that the reviews on Sovereign Tech pull no punches. Thanks for listening. All right, we're back. Brian Sovereign here, along with uh, Dade Murphy. I'm, I'm sorry, he looked like Dade Murphy. Uh, zero cool. I mean, wow, Christoph. That's my um, secret handle, man. How could you put, put that on the I, air? I, I'm sorry. If anybody out there knows, zero cool crashed a hundred. Never mind. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> or was that crash override? Um, all right, we're 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 done with the 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 hackers puns. Um, Okay, so we were talking. We're talking about privacy, internet privacy, um, technological privacy in general. I suppose is safe to say that's what some people have asked about. Um, and we just got done explaining some of the tools that you can use. Uh, we're going to reiterate those later on in the show for software of the week. Um, this today's show. This is running or is running a little bit different. Um, we're not going to have so many uh, different separate sections because there's so much information to cover and and to grasp and and for you know uh, for you for you to learn about if you're interested in in having some level of privacy. Uh, you know, digital privacy in your life. And again, I'm of the opinion that, and, and as you said earlier, Christoph, that the only way to have real privacy, complete privacy would be to set your computer on fire. Um, you know, and if you end up doing that, you probably won't be able to listen to the show. So please don't. But uh, I don't know, unless maybe I'll come out with like, I'll come out with episodes of Sovereign Tech on vinyl. I, I think that would work. <laughs> Uh, but anyway, so go ahead, Christoph. Let, let's let's keep rolling with this. Yeah, well, I think that's a that's a pretty good overview of what's going on the web with with the web stuff. I think another important aspect of privacy on the internet is uh, in terms of uh, kind of tracing the origins of of traffic that's going on on the the internet. And uh, the I guess the thing that comes up the most in the news is with these motion picture or music mafias that are. Um, you know, trying is to find like, people. Is this like the Pink Mafia? Uh, it's kind of like the Pink Mafia, but it's uh, it's much more dastardly. Yeah, no, um, he, he you mean the MPAA, NDAA, things like yeah, that. Yeah, so they're they're trying to find all these grandmas and kids that are downloading music online and uh, trying to trace down who they are and sue them and uh, get their mm. money. Yeah, and um, of course there are other situations. There are governments that are trying to trace people. Um, because they're dissidents or, or whatever. So sure. that, you know, that could be, those are 
both of those situations could be really life-changing situations if someone's trying to trace the source of what you're doing. Oh, yeah. I mean, you can look back a few years ago when downloading um, copyrighted material just became popular. Uh, you know, kids getting fined thousands, if not millions of kids, literal kids getting fined thousands, if not millions of dollars for, for this sort of thing going on. Yeah, it's tragic. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, obviously, now, uh, full disclosure, Christoph and I are both anarchists. Um, so we would not agree with, uh, we would not agree with copyright law at all. Um, but, uh, anyway, go ahead, Christoph. Yeah. So, I mean, this is important stuff. It's, it's important to try and protect yourself uh, from from those kind of things. So the way that, that people would try to trace what, what your, where your traffic is coming from, where it's going to that kind of stuff is the, the main piece of information that they're interested in is what's called your IP address. Okay. And the IP address is attached to all the traffic that's going out from your computer, coming into your computer. Now, IP is Internet Protocol, right? That's right. Okay. And it's, it's you know, the, this whole Internet thing, it's very similar to sending mail, um, you know, packages in the mail or letters in the mail or whatever. And your IP address is like your, your home address. Right. So people that are trying to trace you are, are kind of trying to find this home address so they can identify you as a person, you know, legally or government or whatever. Okay. And so, you know, if imagine if you wanted to, you wanted to get packages from Amazon.com, for instance, and you didn't want, for whatever reason, you didn't want to let them know what your home address was. You need some kind of intermediary, um, some kind of mail forwarding service or whatever right. to, to help you out with that. So r- rather than giving Amazon your actual address, You'd give them the address of this intermediary, and then the intermediary would go ahead and forward those packages on to your to your home. Right now, real life example of this, I have I've actually used to have to do this a lot. Now I live in New Hampshire now, um, and I don't have to worry about this so much. But I did I, I you know I lived in New York before, and in New York there's so many things that are just banned from having. Right. Right. Um, for a lot of people, the important thing would be guns, but I don't really care for guns, so so it's not that. But I actually had a, a mailbox set up in Florida, and I would get things shipped to Florida that I couldn't get. I mean, and I'm talking simple things like, I mean, from a sword to, you know, some kind of, uh, like, oil. You know, nothing like, it's not any, no kind of drugs or anything like no that. No rocket though. launchers. People, no <laughs> rocket launchers or anything, that kind of craziness. But just ridiculous things that New York considered to be illegal for whatever reason. And so I would have the stuff get sent to Florida, and then Florida would, my mailbox in Florida would forward it to my mailbox in New York. So it's a very practical thing to do, and it's something that people, you know, do in real in the physical world, and now, like you're saying, in the digital world. Right. So if we bring this back to the uh, to the to the internet, uh, basically, people are trying to find this this IP address, this home address, and you want to find some kind of intermediary service to uh, to act as the, the the interface between you and and the outside world. Uh, and there's a few different ways that you could go about achieving that. Um, you know, one of the simple ways is a VPN. VPN stands for Virtual Private Network. Mm-hmm. And there's a bunch of free services, uh, paid services out there that will provide VPN connections to you. And basically what what, they're, what they do is they're, they're just like a, a mail forwarding service. Okay. Um, you send internet messages to them. They forward it out to the world. When the messages come back, they go to that VPN and they come back to you. So it's kind of like... You have this encrypted tunnel out to them, and then they're sort of your your external interface to the to the rest of the world on the internet. 
So anyone that's trying to trace it back in a, any kind of simple way, um, it's going to trace back to that VPN, but they won't be able to get any further than that. Right now. And there's, there's services online that you can go to that offer you VPNs that pretty much, and the speeds are pretty good. Yeah. Uh, yeah. They, I mean, they match up pretty much with, I mean, there's not a real whole lot of slowdown that occurs when you use these VPNs. Yeah. And, and that's the best thing about VPN, especially if you're trying to download a video or, or some kind of high bandwidth thing. Um, that's probably the way to go Sure, because uh, you want those fast speeds. Now I've seen VPNs where they're, uh, or I've seen routers that they'll sell often to businesses or wherever, where it says, uh, that it has a VPN kind of built in. Mm-hmm. Um, are those, are those the same deal? Are those the same kind of, or is that a different, uh, is that more for like a LAN type? Well, what that, what that generally would mean is like, if you have a VPN, uh, like service included on your router, then you can set up a VPN at your place and have other people connect to you. And this would be important for companies. Like if they, um, you know, for instance, I, I work from home, right? So mm-hmm. uh, oftentimes I need to connect to the, the network of the company that I work for. And so rather than tunneling all that traffic around the internet um, and all the bad places it can go, um, I can connect through a VPN directly to their servers on this encrypted tunnel and that way I don't have to go through any more additional hops sort of unencrypted to connect to that network. So it's, it's just a, a safer way for that for that connection to go on. Right on. So okay. just as just as VPN services are out there that have their own VPN uh, uh, systems kind of running, you could set up one at your own place if you wanted to. Okay. So, I mean, you would recommend to really anyone get a VPN service of some kind. Yeah, definitely. And, and you know, they're pretty dirt cheap. You can get a, there are free VPNs that are out there. There are ones that you can get for five bucks a month, 10 bucks a month. Right. You can get one with really fat pipes for 10 bucks a month. Yeah, sure. And if, I mean, 10 bucks a month added on to whatever the hundred or, you know, whatever your, your, your internet bills costing you. I mean, that's nothing compared to the advantages that you get out of having one. Right. 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 Sure. Um, so there, there are some issues with VPNs. I mean, first it's just going to be one hop from you to your VPN. So if it's some kind of determined adversary that's trying to trace you or whatever, like a, a government or, uh, it doesn't have to necessarily be a government, but it's just one hop. So that doesn't provide, uh, a ton of security. If, if they're going to be getting, uh, warrants, if they're going to be getting, you know, interacting with the law, uh, getting subpoenas for records and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Just one hop is not going to give you a whole lot of protection. Right. So if you're looking for a VPN service, you definitely want to check out some of the options that are out there. They have, um, you know, they have full VPNs. They have VPNs that are just for BitTorrent. And you, whenever you look at a VPN service, you want to find out what's their data retention policy, because um, the less data that they retain, the better for you. Um, if someone does come at them from a legal angle, try to, you know. Get, force them to give up some data about you retained about you the the better that situation is if they have nothing retained nothing stored on their servers and there's nothing to be you know acquired by governments or or right. companies or whoever right so that's vpns um if you want to take things a uh, sort of a step up from there in terms of anonymity there are these uh systems called onion routing networks and uh, oh, this is Tor. Yeah, so Tor is one of these onion routers. It's definitely the most popular one that's out there. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's got you know millions of users around the world, um, helping out journalists, helping out you know people in China, um, you know, all these people that are are in hostile areas of the internet and helping them connect to the internet in a free 
way in, in, a, in an anonymous way. Right. Now, Tor isn't, I mean, these aren't like separate, you know, lines being run everywhere. This is working within the present infrastructure, internet infrastructure that everybody knows and quote unquote loves. Right. right? Yeah, definitely. Okay. Um, and it's just using encryption to uh, make th- make that as hidden to people as possible. Okay. So, um, uh, Tor um, is the probably you know it's the most popular, most important right now implementation of these onion routing networks, and um, there are some. So, Tor basically the the uh, if, if I wanted to give you sort of an analogy of how that works, um, let's say that uh, you wanted to you wanted to deliver a message to someone face to face, but you didn't you know in a room. And uh, you want to you want to give a message to someone named Bob, and uh, but you didn't want to know you didn't want Bob to know who was delivering the message. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you just went up to Bob and said, "Hey, here's here's the message to Bob," then he would see that it was you, and he would know it's you. So um, next step, you know, get a bunch of friends together who all want to deliver anonymous messages around, and uh, instead of you delivering the message directly to Bob, you're going to tell a random person in the group. Um, you know, this is the message to Bob, send this along. Then that person's going to tell another random person in the group, this is the message sent along to Bob. And it's going to happen sort of a random number of times. Right. And then finally, some person's going to go over to Bob and say, hey, here's the message to Bob. And Bob doesn't know who originally sent the message, um, but he's still receiving the message. So it's it's using this uh, the strength in numbers of people working together to kind of... L- uh, loan each other's identities briefly, right? Um, and 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 it go, and it gets to the per it gets to, you know for, to stay in the analogy it gets to Bob verbatim. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, because this isn't like the rumor game where yeah you put in one person's ear and by the time it gets to the person you know at the end <laughs> right. that it's something you know totally con conflustered. Yeah. Um, no, th- this is perfect. Now, so. and the the tricky thing about Tor is it's it's using this uh, a very sophisticated sophisticated encryption technology. That so that not only are you delivering messages to Bob, but um, Bob is able to reply, and but and the message is able to get back to the original sender, even though Bob doesn't know who that sender is, mm-hmm. which you you wouldn't be able to easily do with a bunch of people. And the message is encrypted when it's bouncing between people, um, so it's encrypted until it gets out to the, to the from the final person over to Bob. So there's there's all kinds of good stuff that's that's baked into Tor on top of that analogy, but that's just sort of a, a simple way of looking at it. Sure. So but there are there are definitely some problems with, with Tor and, and routing onion routing networks. Um, there's a basically what people are looking to do is they're if they want to uh, they want to trace people that are using Tor, they're looking to do what's called traffic analysis. And um, there's a couple there's a bunch of different uh, "quote unquote" attacks on on that privacy that can happen. Uh, one is called the timing attack, where um, in a low latency network like Tor, with low latency means there's a very short period of time between when you're sending a message uh, through the Tor network and when it actually arrives outside of the Tor network. So let's say mm-hmm. you're going to Google.com, you send that through Tor. Short period of time between when you say. Uh, you know, search for blah 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 on Google.com, and when Google gets the message, um, someone that's able to sort of spy on on how those messages are getting passed around, uh, they can see that a message was sent by you at this time, a short period of time after that it arrives at Google, and so they may be able to tell that you were the person that correlated with that particular message. 
Um, and that's that's just very difficult to to deal with. It's it's also difficult for that attack to actually work. You need to have a whole lot of information and a whole lot of snooping and and all that kind of yeah, stuff. Yeah, so it needs to be a pretty concerted thing. Yeah, definitely. If, if someone's, I mean, you you need to be probably a quote unquote pretty bad guy. Yeah, yeah, uh, right. For them to want to do this sort of thing. Yeah, you'd have to have access to a bunch of systems that you're not supposed to have access to. Sure. Um, there's also something called exit node sniffing. So. Um, the the message that so let's say you send an unencrypted query to google.com like search for um you know sexy french maids or whatever google search for sexy french maids oh wow well, i hope that comes up you're doing that over <laughs> and you're doing that over http um that's unencrypted so when it's bouncing around the tor network before it gets to google it's going to be encrypted but when it actually comes out uh, out of the tor network and goes to google it goes back to that un- unencrypted state and the person that is on the very last person in Tor before it goes to Google is called the exit node. They're the exit node. And so if mm-hmm. someone's just sitting there um, trying to be the exit node for these for these messages and waiting for messages to come through that are not encrypted, i.e. they're coming, you know, for the web, they're coming through HTTP instead of HTTPS, then they're able to see all this plain text data coming out of the Tor network. Okay. There's actually a researcher that famously... Uh, uh, did this where he set set this up and, and he was sniffing uh, from his exit tour network and he found all these unencrypted uh, logins that were going through uh, passing through him including uh, government agencies and, and all kinds of stuff oh so, wow yeah <laughs> well then uh, for the sake of lesbians across the world and straight men um, if the if the companies that make pictures of uh French maids, sexy French maids. Please, uh, please use HTTPS, and uh, you know, be considerate of the fact that we're using Tor, and we don't want that information out there. Yeah, definitely. And we'll yeah. talk about later about some software that can help you uh, uh, try to prevent those kind of situations. Um, another c- cool thing about Tor is um, I don't know if you've heard of like dark nets before. I have. I wanted to ask you about that. Yeah. So, <clears throat> uh, the general idea of of a dark net is it's like a it's a it's a version of the internet that's away from the internet. It's somehow sequestered away from the internet. And that might be, that might be in a uh, sort of a digital way, like Tor is using encryption, mm-hmm. or it might be a physical disconnection from the internet, like a, a connection between, you know, a big connection between computers that's taking place somewhere that's not connected to the internet. Right. So a dark net could be a, like a local area network. It could be like six computers connected to each other and they're just all connected and they're kind of like their own mini internet. Right. That's not connected to, you know, the World Wide Web as to where, but also a dark net can be something that's piggybacking onto, yeah. onto the World Wide Web. Yeah, exactly. Okay. One of the, I guess the probably the most famous example of a, of a physical dark net or, or the, a network that's separated physically from the internet is the, the U.S. government has uh, uh, the Sipper net. Um, ah. And uh, what the, the deal with that is they have these, you know, classified networks that are sequestered away from the internet and they literally have these they have these rules that say that say literally you know never plug in one of these cybernet computers into the regular internet because as soon as you can do that then people can try and hack into these classified <laughs> systems and and all that kind of stuff but i bet it still happens yeah i mean it, it seems that way based on the news reports that come mm-hmm. out it certainly seems that way okay so there's cybernet or the, now we can talk a little bit more about how the government's involved with a lot of this stuff but right. um uh, later on but now i mean are there anything you know more higher up it seems like that one's kind of popular 
The uh, the cipernet? Yeah. Is there anything above the cipernet that maybe they use? Yeah. I mean, allegedly, there's also uh, a top secret networks on on top of that as well. Mm-hmm. Um, that are that are even more sequestered than and then than the cipernet that's going ah, on there. There's not okay. you know there's not a ton of information that's out there publicly right. about exactly how these things are set up and, and and whatnot. But there's there's some stuff. So sure, okay. someone's really curious about that, they can certainly Google and about that. And they research. can yeah, and maybe they want to use Tor. I think and some of that information uh, came out probably through the whole WikiLeaks um, thing with uh, mm. Bradley Manning and so forth because he was. He famously acquired a bunch of his information from the Cipernet. I still have his guys that downloaded that file that he said, you know, hey, if something ever happens to me, uh, you know, I'll I'll get the code out there and you guys can look that up. And and TrueCrypt, something else I want to talk about later, but go ahead. Yeah, definitely. So, um, yeah, that's 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 probably the most famous, you know, darknet that's going on. But with Mm -hmm. Tor, um, they have a, a darknet that is... Uh, sort of digitally seg- segregated, and, and the deal with that is they have um, what are called uh, hidden services through Tor. And um, so, you know, usually when you go to a website, uh, let's say Google.com or whatever, the way that that will work is um, your computer will it, it has a certain server that it, it asks about where to find things, and it will ask that server, "Where do I find Google.com?" And it will say, "Oh, Google.com, go to this IP address," and then it will actually send the message to that to that IP address and again that IP address is like sort of the the home address of of the Google computer that they want you to connect to to get to their website. Okay. Um the Onion uh network what they have is they have a special uh TLD TLD is top level domain. Okay. Uh .com is a TLD .net is a TLD and so forth. They have a special one called .onion and you can go to these websites that are on this uh this hidden uh, Tor network and go to you know whatever dot onion, and it will connect you to the to the website that you're trying to connect to, um, but rather than uh, connecting you to that person's IP address, it's going through this Tor network, so you never quite know where that website is actually located. So this would be like a most famous example, probably would be like the Silk Road, right, which is exactly. a marketplace that exists only on Tor, and it's notorious as well as famous. I like it. There's a ton of banned books on it that I think is great yeah, uh, that I can get. And uh, yeah. And so since these are since these services are hidden, it's really hard for people to shut them down because it's, it's hard to figure out where they are. So Tor is a way of not only protecting people that are trying to connect to the web and connect to the internet as clients, but also, you know, internet services and internet servers and so forth. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's a really cool aspect of Tor that I think is um, worth talking about. Sure. So the, the last thing that I wanted to say about these onion routing networks and so forth is um, when, when you're trying to defeat, uh, when people are trying to defeat the anonymity of these networks, um, they, there are sort of other channels that they can try to do to compromise that. And so when you're when you're looking for to try to maximize your your privacy or your anonymity online, you need to combine both this this traffic protection of your anonymity and also the web privacy stuff at the same time. Um, like it'd be really easy for someone to to trick you. Let's say they're trying to tr- track out you know who you are or whatever. It'd be really easy for them to send you an email or or trick you into clicking on some malicious website and it uses some JavaScript or whatever that you know figures out your IP address despite the fact that you're connecting through the Tor network. 
or uh, things like that. So there's just all kinds of tricky things that you can do with websites and uh, other kinds of internet services that circumvents this whole tour thing. So you need to have both of those pieces together at the same time to have the most anonymity that you, you can possibly get. And I think later on we'll talk about um, some easy software that you can install to make that happen. Sure. So, I mean, so that about, that pretty much wraps it up with, with that end of things. Um, I do want to raise a couple, I mean, one other piece of software I want to talk about, and this isn't something like for accessing the internet. This is just for on your own machine, on your own computer. And that would be, we already mentioned it, TrueCrypt. Right. Um, now, recently, there's been a lot of stories going around, um, and for, I hate to use the term, but for the uninitiated, they, they don't know that this is actually old news, um, that that TrueCrypt's been broken, you know, or TrueCrypt. Uh, TrueCrypt uses a 256-bit encryption, correct? Yeah, I mean, it has a variety of encryption schemes that you can right that you right. can use, and it's it's very famous because the FBI has tried to break into TrueCrypt, and it took them the one time I think they did it, it took them months right. to finally crack it, right? Um, which is a long time in computer anything. Yeah, definitely. And yeah. when they're when they're cracking it, they're not breaking the uh, the encryption that's on the on the file that's encrypted or whatever. They're they're trying to attack the the key or the password or whatever that was used to encrypt the file. So right. Ultimately, for any TrueCrypt thing, there there has to be um, a password that's associated right. with it that someone has memorized or written down or whatever, and that's that's the leak. That's the weak point is is, is figuring the out the password. Yeah, and and we're not getting rid of passwords anytime soon. I no. mean, as far as a security solution. But, uh, yeah, no, I mean, TrueCrypt creates a partition. It creates a certain size, be it eight gigabytes, or it can be from four to eight, I think, or you can set it to whatever size. Right. And you can essentially, it's like a container. You can put in there whatever you want, any private things, whatever you want to do. And, and it encrypts all that from prying eyes. Right. Um, lots of people use it. It's very, very simple software to use. Um, and it's also portable, which I like. Anytime something's portable. Tor, which we were talking about earlier, is portable as well. Yes. Um, so you could really carry around with you on you know on, on a flash drive or, or whatever device you're choosing you could carry around a, a pretty impressive security package uh, or privacy package i guess i should say and um with so so recently they've been saying that they were they were able to crack into TrueCrypt crypt by by freezing the ram can you explain that a little more yeah i mean this is um this is uh, ongoing research but it dates back uh, several years and what they're talking about is it's called the cold boot attack and so what they're what they're actually doing is it's this sort of the scenario like FBI busts down your door and they say freeze get it back away from the computer and uh, they grab your laptop and before you get a chance to shut it off or whatever um, they're going to uh, apply sort of a physical effect on your computer to try and preserve its state um, and so they're going to cold boot attack uh, the what what I've seen before is they spray some kind of like really cold. Uh, substance on directly onto the the RAM of your computer mm -hmm. uh, physically on there uh, and it it freezes it in the state that, so that the the uh, traces of the electrons are yeah, still literally holds left the in electrons there. and they get a snapshot of that and they're able to recreate the exact state of what your RAM looked like when they did this attack on it right and from there they may be able to extract the 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 key that was used to encrypt the data and so forth and once they've got that then they can unlock the the encryption that was done right. by TrueCrypt. And the solution to this is very simple. Turn off your computer if you're going to be away from your computer if you're, if you're that worried about it and that's fine if you are. Um, turn off the computer 
if you're going to be away for a while. Yeah, definitely. And you know these cold these cold boot attacks are uh, kind of far fetched. Um, yeah, I, I have it is not, a real nightmare. I've scenario. never heard of any. I, I still have not seen any stories. Uh, not that I've been hunting hunting for them necessarily, but I haven't seen any stories of the FBI. You know, breaking into some places, right. somebody by somebody's place, and they they do a cold boot attack on the computer, and and that's how they they broke the case. Right. I haven't heard about that actually taking place. So it's it's mostly a theoretical kind of scenario. It's a, it's a cool thing to think about, but sure. uh, probably not the at the top of someone's list no, of concerns. No, no. And it's, it's something to be aware of. And like I said, I mean, the, the solution is, I, as far as I know, to my knowledge, it's the only solution is to just make sure that computer is turned off. If you're going to be gone for 10, 20 minutes, you know, if you're that kind of, depending on your paranoia level. Right. So uh, we're here with Christoph. This is Brian Sovereign, of course, and we'll be right back with more Sovereign Tech. seeks to destroy humanity. It is our last, best hope for peace. It is Babylon 5. All fighter squadrons launch. Return fire. Freedom! Watch Babylon 5. You can watch Babylon 5 and experience the greatest show in television history. See the entire series completely free by going to the wb.com slash shows slash Babylon 5. Software of the Week. There is some of my favorite music in the world by Tristan Parrish, One Bit Symphony. We talked about that on the very first episode of Sovereign Tech. If you didn't catch it, go. Uh, you can head to our SoundCloud page. Uh, that's at soundcloud.com slash SovereignTech. Or you can go to, of course, the Tumblr page, SovereignTech.tumblr.com. And you can uh, listen to the episode. Right st- the, it'll be at least once a week. But uh, if I get more with great content like we're having here with my guest, Christoph. Yeah, I did. Yeah. Um, And we are going right now. We are going over. This is our privacy special. Uh, We may update this in the future, Um, you know, and and it'll it'll be great to have Christoph back really anytime to talk about anything, quite frankly. Um, He's actually quite the genius. And um, whether he wants to admit it or not. Yeah. but uh, but this has been a really good episode, and we've got more. We still have more coming, and right now we're going to go over some uh, some of the software that we've been talking about this whole time. Yeah, so I wanted to just sort of encapsulate um, the you know the, the sort of the easiest way to go about accomplishing all the things that we've been talking about. The good news is that things have come a long way um, in terms of these technologies and providing uh, more anonymity online. Um, it used to be that you had to download a million different programs and right. do a lot of configuration. Things would break. You'd have to get on some forums and ask questions and all this kind of stuff. I remember that well. But um, uh, now the stuff is bundled up pretty well. So there, a piece of software that I really like is called Tor Bundle. Uh, this is part of the Tor project, and you can get the Tor Bundle on the downloads page on, on the Tor website. And Tor Bundle includes the Tor software, includes the Firefox uh, browser and it includes uh, Vidalia, which is a, a graphical interface for Tor. And um, within Firefox, there's also a bunch of plugins that are included. 
And these plugins help deal with some of those weaknesses in Tor that I was talking about. Right. So there's there's NoScript. NoScript is awesome. Probably my favorite uh, plugin of all time. And NoScript helps you block scripting languages from taking place. And you can sort of set which websites you want to be able to, to enable it for, which websites you trust. And, and the default is, you know, don't trust anything. Sure. Um, so that's that's great. Um, there's also HTTPS everywhere. So remember earlier we talked about the problem with exit nodes and, and unencrypted HTTP traffic. HTTPS will try to, um, by default, try to take any kind of web request that you're doing and, and check to see if it's possible to do it over HTTPS first. For it to be secure. Right. Yeah, exactly. Now, um, HTTPS, it, uh, it takes a little bit more time. It takes a bunch more computationally for web servers. So... Uh, People that run web servers have have always been uh, pushing away against using HTTPS unless it's absolutely necessary. But you know, com- computers are getting to the point where processes are, are really good, and uh, there's plenty of resources to handle HTTPS traffic. So there's at this point, there's really no good reason to to do stuff over HTTP plain text anymore. Excellent. Okay, now what what about Tor Tor button? Tor button is uh, another plugin for Firefox, and it's basically um, what helps you enable or disable uh, Tor within Firefox? So, you, you you go to a certain website and you you want to start using Tor. You enable it, um, and uh, when you're ready to stop using Tor, you can you can use Tor button to disable it again. Um, there's some issues with the Tor button, like out of the box, the way it's configured, it breaks JavaScript again uh, because of because of the the challenges that JavaScript have to anonymity and so forth. Uh, breaks flash and stuff like that so um, you know a general problem with, with that I've experienced with Tor is that I've never been able to quite configure it to the point where I, I just want to use it all the time um, really I end up just using it for particular activities and uh, you know using a different browser and stuff than other times yeah now you raise a great point um, that you know to use Tor you're sacrificing some of your internet experience. Oh, definitely. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, you're not going to go to Amazon prime and watch, you know, videos and watch star Trek or watch, uh, you know, the original Battlestar Galactica. I don't know why you'd watch the new one, um, or you'd watch, uh, but, uh, yeah, you're you're not you're not going to get your 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 full your full internet experience, right? Yeah, definitely. Although I I, don't, I wonder how HTML five works with it. I'm not, I'm not actually sure about that. I mean, I, maybe it could be to get to a point where you would have tour-friendly websites that can do dynamic stuff. I'm, I'm not sure exactly how that would pan out, but... Right. Well, I think I think the industry, I mean, that's another subject for another time, mm-hmm. but I think the industry is kind of running away from HTML5 as far as I can see. Facebook was really spearheading it, it seemed like, for a while, and now they're not wanting to mess with it. Yeah. And so maybe that might not even be a concern, but that is interesting to note. Yeah, definitely. And if you... Um, so Tor Bundle is awesome. You can put it on a USB disk and, and uh, uh, you know insert it into any, any computer they have a version that works for Linux and Mac and Windows and, and all that stuff um, if you wanted to get you know if you're even more paranoid you could load it into a virtual machine environment um, you know like a Ubuntu Linux uh, would be pretty easy to load it on or uh, Windows XP if you want to bootleg Windows XP and, and throw that on a VM I like to use VirtualBox for, uh, for virtual machines and um, that way, once it, you, you really leave no kind of footprint on the machine, uh, when you're done, you can just restore it to a certain point, and uh, uh, you know, then you it's even better than if you were just doing it on your regular machine. 
Right, right, and and I agree, and I I'm a huge fan of uh, you know port of portable apps in general. Um, I've recently reviewed on the show portableapps.com, which I use all the time. Again, this show is actually being recording recorded on it as we speak using a portable version of Audacity. Right, um, and yeah, it's like we said earlier in the show too that you know you can have a really really secure system going for you that you can put on any computer anywhere and if you use portableapps.com they have a lot of privacy features built into that as well that i mean pretty much the average person at least or even the not so average uh wouldn't even know that you use the computer you know you you have an you know and that's what this is all about is some degree of anonymity that you can achieve even though i think it's still safe to say that yeah it's not possible to achieve perfect anonymity in the digital world right it, it's always about mitigating risk and you can never get that risk down to zero but you can right. you can definitely get it you can definitely get it down it's not going to be 100 percent all the time exactly i mean you can hide who you are certainly but you're never going to hide where you're coming from not perfectly right um you know and and you raised some great examples uh to use for that and uh yeah so you can listen to this over and over again th- this section of software of the week so that you can garner uh, everything that you want to download and we'll post it in the show notes as well we'll be right back oh yeah this is stephanie murphy sovereign tech producer you may know me from this show but did you know that i have my own podcast it's called Pork Therapy. Pork Therapy is a bit different from other shows. We cover current events, big ideas, and even relationship issues, all through the lens of how we can get more freedom in our lives. Oh, and you'll love Sex and Science Hour. Join me on my website, porktherapy.com. That's P-O-R-C therapy.com. Now back to Sovereign Tech. doing i can't believe i caught you again you know jesus doesn't approve of this little habit of yours i know baby i know it's wrong but it feels so right well it ain't but i've been doing it since i was 12 years old it's nothing but a sinful perversion of nature if you ask me but baby i don't ever want to stop looking at tech websites new gadgets video games software or any of that stuff well then I'm leaving. Okay. Bye. Pick of the week. And here we are at the part of the show, one of my favorite parts of the show. Um, this is pick of the week where I get to, or my guests get to, uh, choose to talk about whatever they want to talk about. Um, and and it's it can be something really fun. It doesn't have to be. This is I mean this is sovereign tech. This is a show about technology and how it can set you free. But it's also a very fun show. Uh, you might have heard some laughing during the show. We've actually had guests here uh, today. Uh, you know that 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 are kindly watching us do this show, uh, feeding our egos. And uh, I'm because I'm I'm here with Christoph. And. Um, yeah, it's just it's, the show's been a lot of fun, and so you know, let's end. You know, it's, it's been very informative, so we can end it off on a fun note all all together. And uh, Christoph, you have some music picks for us today. Yeah, I thought uh, in keeping with the the hacker theme, I uh, I'm a fan of of hip hop, and um, there are actually some hacker rappers out there that hacker are hacker rappers. Good. Now, this is, is this separate? For, is this different from nerdcore, or is this the I, same I would, deal? I would say it's part of the nerdcore movement, really. Okay, love um, that. 
and all I, I there are three that I wanted to mention, and all three of them are um, they're hackers. They they have a they have a you know part time or full time gig where they hack and they do the hacking rap on the on the side, and um, you know that makes them totally legit and gives them some pretty sweet and uh, elite lyrics. Sure. So um, one guy that I like, his name is Doctor Raid. And uh, he hasn't done a, a ton of tracks, but he's got a few um, pretty good ones. And um, so he's definitely worth uh, checking out. Um, I also like dual core music. I saw them uh, live at DEF CON and uh, they, they were outstanding. And um, I really like their track, The Game, uh, which is a, it's a story about like a, a hacker in uh, Russia um, who's uh, running a botnet and he gets he gets caught by the police. <laughs> um, and then um, YT Cracker is probably my favorite hacker rapper. Um, he has a bunch of awesome tracks. He's got Hacker War from the from the Defcon uh, music track from this latest Defcon. He has a, a song called LOL Money um, with a very entertaining uh, collaborative uh, uh, music video. He has Make It Pwn Them. Uh, Make it Pondem, uh, which is a, a remix of a, uh, a, a dubstep song, and uh, Pound Lulzek was also a really good song. Although, um, funny thing, it was sort of it was sort of written from the perspective of this guy that was um, organizing Lulzek that turned out to be a, a snitch for the police. So he hasn't been performing it much uh, since that uh, oh that story broke, but that's, <laughs> it's still a very uh, good and entertaining song. Awesome. Now, are these uh, are these something you'd normally go to like Beatport to purchase, or do these artists have them up for free, um, or you just got to kind of hunt for them? Yeah, uh, Doctor Raid. I think you have to kind of hunt for his stuff. Okay. He, he doesn't even. I have some of his stuff like hosted on my private server or whatever. Right. Like he's, right. <laughs> um, Dual Core is a is a big uh, big sensation. Like he's he's a he's a big deal. And um, you can find his stuff on on Amazon and and all that stuff. Probably okay. uh, he sells his stuff. YT Cracker also has his stuff for sale. But I think both of those guys, like you can find their stuff for free if you really want to. And and they they definitely seem to um, want to put their stuff out there for free to people to sample before they before they buy. Right, as hackers themselves, uh, they would, or at least of having an understanding of of that that culture, um, I'm sure they would have no problem with you figuring out how to get their music for free if you wanted to. Yeah, definitely. Um, so when in the show notes and on the Tumblr page at sovereigntech.tumblr.com, um, I'll just put their names up so and so there won't be any links to find these guys. And please do not email asking me how. Uh, <laughs> just have have fun and you know in, in in doing that. Um, I think a good episode for Sovereign Tech to do in the future, uh, would be about you know, the whole torrent or the whole download scene, uh, whatever you, or, or, uh, as the, the religion is called copy meism. Um, that's a religion that, that the pirate Bay came up with, which they're going to be celebrating 10 years, 10 years online. Uh, it is the site that just can't be taken down, at least not for long. Um, they'll be celebrating 10 years, uh, next, next year, they'll be in 2013 and they've got quite a party plan. That's something else to look into. Um, well, that's great. I, I mean, <clears throat> excuse me. I've, um, I haven't, uh, listened to any of that myself, but now I'm, I'm certainly going to go check it out. Uh, and I'm a huge fan of, of Nerdcore, and I, I, you know, and, and that's an offshoot of that per se. And I, and I think that's great. Uh, so 
let's talk, uh, since we still have some time here in pick of the week, let's talk about, I think, something that's definitely a pick of both of ours. A pick of, you know, if someone walked up to, to you or I, Christoph, and said, yeah, you know, you know what, what's a movie that I should watch that, you know, it's kind of a classic that has, you know, that, that, that's been around for a little while, uh, because all these new movies are kind of, you know, they're not really living up to the, to the stuff that, that, that was before. And I think both of us would, would pretty much say hackers, hackers. Yeah. Just one word hackers. Uh, this is an, this is a classic film. I think it came out in 94, uh, or 95. I know it was the first movie I ever saw on my own. Like, and I thought that was so cool because I was alone. <laughs> you know, parents are like, oh, yeah, no, no, you're fine. Go ahead. And I think my mother might have still been at the mall. But anyway, I was at least able to be just me, myself. I felt very adult. Um, and here I was seeing Hackers. And, and what an inspirational film, uh, quite frankly, because it, it, it's it's a, would you, is it safe to say, it's a cool movie. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, I mean, it's got a lot of cool, a lot of, a lot of, a lot of hip, a lot of, uh, uh, I'm not even, you know, sure what what words to use for it, but it, but I mean, it definitely just gets succinctly in, into cool. And and I'll start off with just how I, you know, felt about it. Um, this is this hackers in general were were being talked about in the '80s, you know, with a very negative light. Um, you had some of these guys who, you know, but it was a different time too. Uh, as to where today, I mean, I think even the word hacker is is just as screwed up as it was then as it is now people don't really understand what it's all about um but it it, it showcased these people it showcased them again as cool it showcased them as heroes for once which i think was unique at the time um and while it did a terrible job of showing what actual hacking looks like uh, i mean this is unrealistic as it gets because it looks like the matrix it It looks like a video game yeah it looks like a video game and and hacking is nothing of the sort if they showed real hacking and i understand why they did that if they showed actual hacking that'd be be pretty boring stuff super boring yeah someone sitting in front of a terminal typing in commands right right looking Um, stuff up on google yeah, come on. <laughs> so, uh, so they had to take creative license, and that's fine as long as you understand that this is not what hacking is all about. Uh, you you ends up working out pretty well. Um, but for you, Christoph, I mean, what what makes the movie great for you? Um, it's a very stylish movie. Um, it doesn't take itself seriously at all, which is is important because uh, there's there's some kind of awesomely bad qualities to it like you be like the way that that hacking is portrayed and whatever um uh the and i like how they uh tried to like they really did some research on hacker culture and brought them into the into the movie like all the hackers they have you know little handles and that totally was a thing back then with hacking it still is uh, uh, still is a thing sure um, sure uh hackers have their their anonymous handles that they use yeah, to they use like leet speak right yeah, yeah yeah um and um it was also i also liked the way that they got into sort of the social lives of hackers too where there's there's some that are you know there's one guy that has like no family no family in the picture and he just kind of cr- crashing couches of his friends and uh going out to you know, they're all going out to parties and stuff like that and and, and you know a lot of it's over the top but i, I like that they kind of showed how um hackers are um uh, part of part of society that is uh you know not necessarily welcome that they have to form these kind of communities together to to uh, share their interests together Sure. And, and I particularly like the, towards the end, there's like this nice speech that, that the mother of the main, uh, uh, protagonist, 
uh, of the movie Dade Murphy, who that's what the joke about earlier was. Um, he, uh, the mother goes on to say to this FBI agent, it's like, look, you're not going to understand what these guys do, what these kids do in a thousand years. Right. And, and I thought that was so, so fitting to say, it's like, it's okay. These aren't criminals. You just don't understand yeah, what yeah. they're doing. And that is a really, really powerful uh, statement to make, you know, in, in, in any medium, but to be in a movie, you know, and, and it's become quite the, what they call a cult classic where everybody still kind of, uh, you know, watches it and recognizes it that even though, like you said, it is over the top, but it is a style piece and that gives it a lot of attraction. And they're really, I don't think there's any other movie like it. I mean, there's war games that a lot of people talk about from the eighties, but that was just kind of nuts. And I, while I love the eighties, uh, that, that is just, I, I think that's a little antiquated. Yeah. I don't know of any other hacker movies that, that had the kind of, um, fantastic style that was in there that, yeah, that made it that made hacking into a really fascinating and glamorous uh kind of thing that right. made it really enjoyable to watch right and despite even you know how it how it inaccurately showed what hacking looked like there were still a lot of like really like they did the research like you said i mean that the, the, they said no yeah but this is how it is and, i mean they did everything from uh i mean little things like having a guy reading from an issue of 2600 mm-hmm. um they read the ha- hacker manifesto which is right. great right. um and they 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 used they showed like all the different books that a lot of hackers used to use they showed uh, accurate forms of fracking which right. is hacking telephone lines. Now that's kind of a dead thing today, right. at least in America. That's kind of a dead thing because long distance doesn't exist anymore. People used to do that to get free long distance. Right. Um, that that's just really not necessary. So it was a lot of fun, and this show has been a lot of fun. And I appreciate you being here, Christoph. It is always a pleasure to have an actual hacker, but it's always a pleasure to also have a good friend. Yeah, I had a great time, too. Yeah, I'm glad. Um, Again, you can go to uh, SovereignTech.tumblr.com to find out more about everything we talked about. And uh, have a great day. This has been Sovereign Tech. Visit us at SovereignTech.tumblr.com. That's S-O-V-R-Y-N tech.tumblr.com. There you can connect with us, see more of what you've heard on today's show, and catch our podcast feed. Sovereign Tech is open source. We encourage you to share. Later, nerds. <laughs>